Welcome to the Living Word. I'm Sarah Jala Emmanuel, an evangelist of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity to learn from you. We ask, O oh Lord, that you open our hearts, ears, our minds, and our eyes to behold the beauty of your truth and to embrace it, that our lives will be to the glory of your praise. Amen. So we continue on the message concerning the only gospel, the only gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything else, as I've said, is nothing but deception and lies, heresies at best, deception at worst. And so we saw how G- uh, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, preached the message of repentance for salvation, for the forgiveness of the sins. And um, he, pr- he preached that message, and those who believed, not everyone who was there believed, not everyone who was there believed. The Bible says in verse 31 of chapter 2 of Acts, those who accepted this message were baptized. Those who accepted it. Not everyone will. Not everyone who hears my voice will receive it. Not everyone who is an unbeliever who hears my voice would accept it. But that's okay. Like I said, God gives us the right to choose. He gives us the right to exercise our will. Yes, we, he will not force himself on us. So why not what people in their arrogance say? <laughs> a colleague of mine was saying recently, we, we we had a just making a comment something to do with, uh, about Christianity. I can't remember how it was. Six thirty in the morning, we got into this conversation, and he said, "I will never ever believe. I will never believe. I'm never ever going to believe in God or in, or, or in Jesus Christ." And I said, "You know my simple answer." I said, "That's all right. It was never up to you in the first place. It's at God's election." That was all I said. I said, "That's all right," and it's true. People have to stop this arrogance of thinking, mm, I don't know, I'll think about it. You think about it. What other option have you got for salvation? You can think about it all you like. Well, at the end of the day, it is God's own discretion. Because he gives us the faith to believe. So we're not in your arrogance and saying, I don't believe in Jesus, I don't believe in God. No, no, no. You, you, you cannot come arrogant before God. You can't because you've got, who are you? You're a mere creation of God. That's all you are. Nothing else. And I don't care how you think you've come to be in the world, whether through monkeys or dinosaurs or any other big blast or, I don't know, nothing that just created you something. I don't know. Whatever foolishness of um, scientists or whoever else you choose to believe in, well, all the very best to you, but at the same time, at the end of the day, salvation is of God. It is not at your discretion. Just like the weather today is not at your discretion. You don't decide whether it will be sunny or, or, or rainy. You don't decide the seasons. You cannot say, okay, we're not having summer, it's going to be we fast forwarding into spring. You can't do a thing. You cannot decide when your hair stops growing or when it doesn't. When God decides you, you not, you're going to be bold, you're not going to have any more hair growing, that's that. And if he chooses to give you a full head of hair like Samson all the days of your life, that's up to God. You don't determine your next breath. Well, you could try. <laughs> try. You may decide you're not going to breathe for the next five minutes, at which case, um, in which case, you know, um, good luck with your, you know, facing God. But that's what I'm saying. You do not determine anything. So while human beings can sit there in their arrogance and say, I reject Jesus. I'm not interested in Christianity. Oh, I don't believe in all that. I don't believe in God. I don't know. It's not up to you. It's not up to you. Let me read you very, something very quickly. Um, just to affirm that, that you may, uh, it doesn't matter how much you deny God. He is God. And you know, deep inside of your spirit knows, your soul knows God. You may say you don't want to receive him. Yeah, you may, like I said, you're exercising your own free will. That's okay. But there will be consequences. Romans chapter 1, from verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since, the, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. So you see what I'm saying? What I was saying? You've got no excuse. Absolutely none. You can reject God. That's fine. You can claim whatever religion you choose, 
apart from the way the sovereign God who came down to dwell amongst us has told us this is the way you must walk you can reject all that and you know do what you choose but there will be consequences it says the wrath of God is being revealed I see it around me every day the wrath of God that's why the world is in the condition it is tell me one person who is happy with the state of the world that as it is now be, believers we're not really 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 so distressed we're not distressed about it we see it we're not comfortable with it because for the time being this is where we are serving the Lord at the moment so we're not happy with it but you know what we have peace about it we're not troubled and distressed like the people without God are about the current state of the world. I don't care who is president or who rules where or what. It doesn't bother me what nuclear weapon anybody has or threatens with. I don't care who is throwing bombs anywhere or, 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 I don't know, threatening to devastate the world in many other ways that is happening. I don't care about the lunatic who might run loose in the streets to, to, today and shoot people down and all that because... What's the final? What's the worst they can do? They kill the body. They kill the body. And that's that. They cannot kill the soul. And you know what? As concerning the body being killed, one way or the other, I am going to get rid of this body. It is a perishing body. So whether I am shot down by a madman, <laughs> or I am blown to smithereens by some lunatic's bump, or, or somebody decides to press his nuclear button and bring the whole world to a halt anyway, whatever it is, Whatever it is, my soul is safe. It is well with my soul. I have a home to go to. I have life eternal. Nobody can kill me. People can devastate my flesh and do what they like with it. It's only a tent in which my soul leaves. The body does not leave. It is the soul that leaves. So what is the condition of your soul? That's the question. My soul is at peace. My soul is dwelling in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. My soul belongs to my God. My soul will return to my God for all eternity, not in hell. Because some souls will go to hell for all eternity. But the souls of the saints will dwell with God in paradise. We are going to have the new heavens and the new earth, the home of righteousness for all eternity. Paradise restored. Everything is going to go back. God is going to recreate it all to the perfection that it was in Genesis chapter 1 before Adam and Eve sinned he's going to to restore it he's going to restate all things and I look forward to that so I don't really care what happens in this current world because we all know God is not heeding anything from us he's made it clear to us that this world as it is it's not good enough I'm going to take it out I'm going to destroy it once again only this time not by the waters of a flood this time it's going to be by fire and I believe him because he did it before, he'll do it again. It's his world, he created it. So he may deny the intelligent creation of the earth, but I'd like to hear your other argument. Don't you want to rely on scientists who never could prove their point or articulate it because they're still struggling with it. They're still struggling with the evolution. They're yet to find any proof of it. But you know what? We have all the evidence. I read another evidence of God's sovereignty, God's masterful creation in Psalm 19. We read from verse 1. And I'm going to read from verses 1. I'm going to read verses 1 to 6. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day the pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes a circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Now, I could go into explaining this. It would take me hours to explain, just to break down those few verses. But I wouldn't do that on this occasion because that's not uh, where we're going today. I'm just trying to nullify every thought uh, that rises against the knowledge of God or the being of God. 
But it says here, the heavens declare the glory of God. You look up at the skies, look at the amazement of it. You look at the clouds, you, you, we look at it. There is no voice or language where their voice is not heard. We look up and we say, ah, it's cloudy, it's going to rain. We look up and we say, what a bright day we're going to have today. So in the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion. Do we not look in eagerness at the, coming, uh, at the rising of the sun? We expect it for the warmth. We expect it. The farmers expect it for their harvest and all. We expect it because we want to go and enjoy holidays in the wonderful places and beaches and all that that God has given us. So we all rejoice in the appearance of the sun. It is God's gift to us. And it is God who has done it. There is no speech or language. Where is there under the sun in the whole earth that people do not recognize the moon, the stars, the sun and the purposes for which God put them here? Amazing, isn't it? Think about that. So let's get back to our message <laughs> about the gospel, the only gospel. Peter, in we 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 read uh, last time we we read verses um, thirty six to forty one of Acts chapter two, where Peter, having brought conviction through his message of proclaiming the risen Lord Jesus Christ before the people of Israel and all the other people who were there, the God worshippers and the unbelievers who were there. They said, brothers, what shall we do? And he said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, note this. Peter said nothing, nothing at all, about Jesus offering miracles, signs, wonders, financial prosperity, or financial breakthrough, or healing in exchange for repentance. His message was about Jesus Christ and him crucified. His exaltation by the Father to the highest place Hence, he demanded repentance. Repentance was all that was he demanded of them. And he didn't say, once you do, you're going to have all these other things. He didn't say that. Repent and be forgiven. And why do we need that forgiveness? Because unless we, have, we, we find forgiveness with God through Jesus Christ, we will be eternally condemned. Now, in, in chapter 3 of Acts... It's, it's, the book of Acts is the one-stop shop for the church and all things pertaining to the church. You know, what is the purpose of the church? What is the church here for? What is the message of the church? Or what should be the message of the church? Because like I said, we've got more, multiple messages all over the place. Thousands and thousands of all sorts of dodgy messages. But there is only one message that the church was commissioned to preach. So, in chapter 3, we find uh, of the healing, we find Peter and John going their own way. Uh, uh, on the, they're going their own way to the temple one day because they still went and preached in the temple. And there was a crippled man who had been crippled from birth. He was outside the beautiful gate. And this man used to sit there begging alms. And he was begging alms of Peter and John. <clears throat> and um, they obviously <laughs> they didn't have any money to give to him um, cannot be compared to many of the pastors we have today they are mega rich lying, thieving, deceptive rogues blaspheming the name of God these disciples in the, early, in the Bible were not in for the money they were not interested in accumulating wealth they didn't buy horses and chariots because don't tell me they didn't have cars and private jets in those days. Maybe not. But they had horses, they had chariots, they had golden, golden chariots, they had the finest of horses from Egypt. They didn't purchase any of those things. You understand? Whatever monies came into the church in the first century were used for the members of the church who were poor and who were suffering amongst them. They were persecuted. The Christians, the first early Christians were severely persecuted and dispossessed of their things and properties, even their lives. And so whatever monies came together, the other believers put together, used to, was used to make others comfortable, to meet the needs of other believers. Is that what we have today? Because today, Christians are still being persecuted and dispossessed all over the place. They're still being ta you know, killed. They're still being deprived of their homes and having their homes raised down by fire and being driven out of their towns and things. 
and they're wallowing in poverty. And I thank God for charities that who work tirelessly to raise funds to, to for, for these people to to you know uh, to to provide them with new homes and food and drink and basic basic necessities of life. Charities like Open Doors, there are quite a few. Samara's Aid, there are quite a few of them that I know of, and by the grace of God, support as best as I can. But we have all these mega, mega um, ministries that claim to be of Christ, and all this selfish, self-seeking, selfishly ambitious, greedy men and women who claim to be men and women of God, and so the people hail them as you know lord <clears throat> how many of them because i i can name a few in nigeria for instance who have got estates upon estates they've got universities they've got schools plenty of them they've got all sorts of printing businesses media businesses, all kinds of businesses <clears throat> you know um private housing estates are a big thing for them you know now they the sort of accommodation they build are not for the poor they're not for the regular man not for the regular working person, let alone the poor. The poor have no chance. The builders of things for, for the millionaires, for the thieves in government, for drop pushers and people with, you know, um, questionable sources of income. They are their clientele to buy and lease homes from them with the money that they've gotten from the church collections and tithes and offerings. That's why they're very, very big on prosperity preaching. They have to be. It's the only way they get raised their money. And then they put into businesses. They never had these businesses before they became pastors. And don't tell me because they're foolish followers. We tell you it is God. It's God's blessing because, because they're obedient servants. Shut up. Just shut up. Just shut up. If you cannot be bothered to read the scriptures and ask God for understanding, just keep quiet and don't be sending me nonsense comments on Facebook or anywhere else to, to tell me that I'm insulting your man of God. Don't, don't, don't go there, please. Unless you know what you're saying and unless you can come to me and tell me in scripture which other servants in scripture you can liken which their lifestyles with the mad person you're following around, don't come to me with any f ridiculous arguments. I don't want to hear it. Now, in Nigeria, I can name a few. We got people like Chris Oyakilome, we got uh, Pastor Adeboye, we got um, Bishop Oyedepo, we've got um, TB Joshua, so many of them. Oh, there are too many, too numerous. We, we've got Michael Konko, quite a lot of them. How many of them? We, now, in this same country, Nigeria, we have got thousands, hundreds and thousands of displaced Christians living in penury, particularly in northern Nigeria, northeastern Nigeria, where we've had the Boko Haram menace, where these Christians have been killed and maimed, dispossessed of their properties, they're homeless. The government, thankfully, in recent years, have been providing um, camps, IDP camps for them, you know, the people who have been, you know, displaced. What are these people, these so-called servants of God? Now, these are Christian sisters and brothers who are in this suffering. What have they done for them? Because they are building private estates upon private estates. They are buying private jet upon private jet, buying hel private helicopters, buying fleets of cars. They are building first-class universities and schools and things for the rich, for the rich. They don't do work for charity in that regard. If you're not rich, you cannot go to their, to, to, to their schools. You cannot put your children in their schools or, or any of the establishments. <clears throat> They're setting up all these businesses, building amazing structures that they all own. Why? How many, how many housing estates, how many plots of land have they built on for Christians who are being dispossessed, who, who are suffering, who are being persecuted? Yeah, how many? How m what are they providing for them? You won't even see them there when they have all their miracle explosion and Holy Ghost fired events. They don't go to those regions. No, no, no. They go to the affluent parts of society and countries, affluent countries where they can get the real money in. 
the Holy Ghost Fire Nights of the Redeemed Christian Church, led by Pastor Adebaye, that is held here in the Excel Center in London, very expensive venue, but that's where they hold the Holy Ghost Night or something like that. However often they hold it, and then they have all the things they do on the express roads and the many, many mile-long uh, church auditoriums in, in Lagos State. But you will not find them go and hold their revivals, well, so-called revivals, and, and all these events in the places where there is a, a, a danger of, of persecution or being bombed or being attacked by Boko Haram or anyone else. And so those Christians are left there suffering. And th- like I said, thank goodness and thank God for the beautiful charities who do not even belong in Nigeria. Those charities are set up in the Western world. But they're the ones who go there to their rescue and keep doing their best. Their workers go out there, believers, risking their very lives for their brothers and sisters. Our mega pastors, celebrity pastors, don't see that. No, they'd rather jet out here to the U.S. and to the U.K. and to France and all those places to go and make more money in hard currency as the promised foolishness in wealth and breakthroughs and miracles. I don't know why people will be so, are so naive. I don't understand it. I always say it is very easy to recognize a man of God. It's a servant of God, a true servant. It's very easy. Or anybody who comes to you and claims they're a servant of God, it's very easy to, rec- to, 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 to identify whether they're true or not. Just measure them against the servants in the Holy Bible. It's that simple. Because all of the servants, from the prophets in the Old Testament all the way through to the uh, apostles in the New Testament, have one thing in common. They were very godly people who had no business with worldliness. That alone is enough. It, that alone is enough criteria to understand whether a person is truly sent of God or not. All of them detached themselves from all things worldly and embraced all things godly. And that's what's expected of every believer. How much more those who claim to be the leaders on behalf of God. So you keep following blindly. Well, I don't care how much you lose in the process. That's your business because it's all because of your greed. But what I'm telling you is all these things will do nothing, nothing to enhance a relationship with God if you have got one at all. And unfortunately, you see, what is it with your soul? What is the condition of your soul? What is the condition of your soul? What promise do you have for your soul for all eternity? So, after the healing of this crippled beggar, Peter and um, John, the man asked them for money. They had no money to offer him. And um, I'll read very quickly verse 3 of chapter 3 of Acts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him and asked did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the hand, by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and, uh, and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Now, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, I just want to once again point you to a very quick thing. We're right there now. (laughs) Silver and gold I have not, Peter said to him. But what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he held him by his hand, lifted him up, and immediately the man's legs and ankle. Now, mark this. He had never walked in his life. He was, born, he was born crippled. Immediately his bones, his feet and legs became strong. He began to jump and he began to run, praising God. What do we see in the name of miracles today? What do we see in the name of miracles today? We don't see them instantaneous because even the ones that claim are instantaneous are nonsense. You tell a person you used to get headaches, you don't get them anymore because Jesus Christ has healed you. What are you talking about? It was about, oh, a bit of arthritis. Oh, I came in here, my back was aching, and now it's gone. They never have anything concrete to offer, these false miracle makers. And whatever little things they do display, a lot of times are through the power of sorcery. Don't get excited every time you see something called miracles. I'm going to come to that on another day and show you examples and examples in the Bible where we have shown examples of reasons why you cannot take everything you know 
you see as from God. Don't be so gullible. People are so easily deceived. And as far as I'm concerned, the only reason that happens is because people are so selfish and so self-seeking. If you're really seeking God, you will not be deceived by the devil. But if you're not truly seeking God, the devil has got you as a ping-pong ball, batting you back and forth. And you'll be you know, wavering between two opinions. And what the Bible says about people like that, such a person should not think he's going to get anything from God. But when you want to know the true living God, you will know him. And then you're not easily deceived. You'll be so, he'll give you the gift of discernment. You'll be able to tell what is of God and what isn't. Because that's another area where I get attacked. How come you know? How come you always say, what do you mean how come I know? Jesus said, if anyone, <laughs> if anyone does the will of the Father, he will know whether the works I'm doing are true are of the Father or not. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. The saints know each other. And the deceivers know each other. And that's why when you see all those pastors who, all the false ones and, you know, the health and wealth preachers, they always, they, they, every now and then they converge together. You see them on great big advertising banners, you know, all over the place, advertising their next event. And they'll have photos of, I don't know, however many of them come together to scam you this time. And they'll have photos of them all there and put their names there, put their little profiles there, you know, who they are, what they've done, what they've achieved, you know, how many souls they've saved, how big their church and all that nonsense. You know, they put it all there. They come together. They know each other, just like the saints of the Lord know each other. Birds of a feather, they say, flock together. So, and even after that, so after that healing, there was a bit of confusion in, in the temple because don't forget they did this by the entrance of the temple courts and um, people were talking, this and eating, the Pharisees, everybody was talking and what's going on, what's going on about this healing and all that. And they called Peter and John for questioning. You know, they called Peter and John for questioning. The people who had witnessed the miracle were all amazed about it because don't forget this man had been sat, sitting there all the time begging arms. Everybody knew him. Everyone who used to go to the temple knew him, but all of a sudden, there he is, skanking about the place, jumping for joy, dancing, even, I'm sure, because he was walking. And it was clear that it was Peter and John who had healed him. And so they called them. They called them to question, you know, the leaders of the temple and all that, and all the, you know, priests and all. They called Peter and John and questioned them about this healing and uh, what had happened and what they'd done. People, the onlookers were amazed and, you know, the onlookers were amazed. And Peter said to them, look, it's not, um, you look into us, in chapter 3 of Acts. I'll read verse 17 to 20. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders. He's talking about, you're looking at us that we've done an amazing thing. It's not us who's done it. It's Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you killed. The one you crucified, see? The message is said about Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is where I'm getting at. Is Jesus Christ who did it, not us. We didn't heal him. We have no powers of our own. We have no authority. But the name of Jesus Christ, the one, that savior that God gave us, but you, you chose to kill him. You nailed him to the cross. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead. He is living and active, and that is why by him we have been able to raise this, uh, heal this cripple. So now he says to them, because now the people are amazed and mesmerized and wondering what's going on. Peter said, now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ will suffer. Will suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And that he may send the Christ, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. So you see, it's still about repentance. It's still about forgiveness of sins. Peter has not, because of the miracle he just performed, detracted to say, See, I am all powerful. I have the power to heal. I have the power to perform miracles. I have the power to change your life. He's not saying anything like that that you hear today. He said, okay, okay, I can appreciate that you acted in ignorance, you and your leaders, when you killed Jesus Christ, but yet God raised him from the dead, he's died, but now he's calling you to repent, repent, turn to God. He said, repent and turn to God. 
so that your sins may be wiped out. It's all about the forgiveness of our sins. That we may be reconciled to God because without that forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ alone, you will be, you are eternally condemned. You stand condemned already. It's not going to be something that's just going to happen then. You stand condemned already. Already. He said that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. And we know that Jesus is going to come back. Peter isn't saying that he's just going to come. He's been. He's told them already. He's been. You killed him. He's gone up. But come in. Repent. Turn to God. Be forgiven. That God may once again, the second time sent. We know he's going to come. We just don't know when. But one thing we know, and one thing we preach, is Jesus will return when the last saint, when the last saint, the last person to be saved, has come in to that ark of salvation. Then the Lord will return. He said he's not going to lose any of all that God has promised him. And that is why we preach the gospel. Because we don't know who the saints are. We know them once they're in, but we don't know those who are still outside. So we continue to proclaim. And this is why I'm speaking to you today. I have no interest in anything else in you except that you turn to God, repent, and have your sins forgiven. Seek the forgiveness of God. You may be one of his sins. I don't know. But I have a duty to tell you of that grace that appeared to men once for all. The man Jesus Christ. And that is the gospel. That is the only thing that's good news. There's nothing else I can tell you that's good news. I can tell you something that will delight you for a few moments. But it has no eternal value. Has no eternal value. Nothing has eternal value for your soul. Except relationship with Christ. With God through Jesus Christ. So that's all there is about it. Repent. That's always the message. Now... That was addressing the audience, the followers, the people who had come to the temple, the people who were amazed. Okay, now there's someone by the Sanhedrin, which are the top guys, the big guys, the leaders, and questioned about this healing <laughs> that Peter and John had done. The question, because this is the first healing they've done, you know, since, um, since the day of Pentecost, since the first uh, uh, sermon of Peter. This is, that, that was the first healing. The healing of the man at the, at the beautiful gate was the first one. And so everyone is amazed. I mean, the first miraculous sign they saw was speaking of tongues. Now, Peter and John heal this man, and it becomes a big deal. And of course it's a big deal. So now they brought them before the Sanhedrin, and they're questioning them. You know, the big guys, the big guys who submitted Jesus for, for um, crucifixion. Now they're amazed, because now they've succeeded in killing Jesus. Jesus is resurrected, he's ascended to heaven, and now his servants, having been endowed with power of the Holy Spirit, are now working. Now they're working. And in Acts chapter 4, from verse 5, I'm going to read that very, very quickly, to 12. The next day the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? This is that, that referring to the healing of the crippled man. Then Peter, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I read chapter 13 there for a reason. To nullify my um, pastor friend's argument that um, a theology education to PhD level is a necessity for you to be an effective messenger of God. 
we just read there in verse 13 of Acts chapter 4 that when they saw that the, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus like I said to my friend it takes your obedience and total submission to the will of God as a minister of God to minister effectively it is the Holy Spirit who empowers us who gives us to do what we have to do and it is he if he thinks we need we, we need more powers or more more of anything to serve effectively, he endows us with it. We don't seek it out in the classroom. Knowledge is good, but to say that is the requirement of God is a total nonsense. So I just read that th- uh, verse thirteen. What we are concentrating on is verses five to twelve, where the Sanhedrin, all the elders and all the uh, all, all the teachers of the law, the rulers questioning Peter and John about this healing they said well you want to know they said we knew his name by what authority and he said well it is in the in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified that we have done these things and then he goes further and says to them salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved that is what the name of Jesus is for our salvation it is not for our carnal enrichment. It is all about salvation. Jesus Christ was crucified for our salvation. Nothing else. There were wealthy people. There were well people. There were people with family, with children, with marriages. Before Jesus had to come into the world. He did not come to give us all that. That message when you hear it is not the message of the gospel. So stop pursuing emptiness in the name of Jesus because you are blaspheming. Whenever you pro- see God or project God in, the, in an image that, that is not his person, you are blaspheming. See him as a heavenly messenger. Some terrible prof- professing servants of God will even tell you to command God. And so you stand in how many pastors, you know what? I go to um, private events, you know, things like weddings and um, birthdays and things every now and then that I've been invited to. I don't go to too many. You know, I find those things a bit wearisome sometimes. Not to say I'm unsociable, but I just find them too much trouble, to be honest with you, a lot of times. But nevertheless, I go to them. And, you know, people out there, you know, they're Christians. Well, so they bring their pastor or, or they invite some pastor or somebody, whoever, to, to, to pray, you know, before the party starts, or maybe at some kind of worship or something, that, or Thanksgiving they want to have before the event. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that, ideally. <laughs> if the worship were in spirit and in truth, it's absolutely right that we thank God for everything that we have and all that we have and whatever He gives us by grace longevity, a new baby, you know, marriage. Yes, God must be praised for everything because it is all. They're all gifts from him. Um, apart from him, we can do nothing. And, you know, and these pastors stand up in the, you know, they like to be announced. They, they love to be announced before they get up, you know. We've got to announce them, our Father in the Lord, the Most High Reverend this, Most Reverend that, Pastor, Bishop this, whatever it is. Then they get up and, you know, sometimes you get an applause when they get up and they stand up and, you know, like, okay, I'm here over and above you all. I'm here to pray for you all. I mean, at that time, I begin to think, oh, here we go. I always know. <laughs> I, I have a nose that sniffs out false ministers by the second you know at, 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 the, at any given opportunity I can smell them from a thousand miles I, I really can't, I thank God for that gift it's not because I have any special knowledge or anything but you know what, all I know I've learned from the word of God and you can do it too if you commit yourself and devote yourself to the word of God only commit yourself to know nothing accept nothing consider nothing or do nothing apart from the word of God. You'll find that you, you know, you, you're discerning. So they stand up. Oh, I'm fed up with it. I tell you, they stand up in all their arrogance. And, you know, everybody's, you know, running around them and all that. Adjusting their chair, carrying their Bible and all that. And then they start this prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, I declare today, and this other time that I open my eyes, I said, I can't continue with this prayer with you. <laughs> because I usually give a person a chance when they say let's just pray I shut my eyes like an obedient little girl that I am 
You know, we want to pray. We want to pray before God. So yes, I stand in awe of God. But the minute they then start this thing that, and I declare it, that today heaven open, and I proclaim that you'll be multiplied a thousandfold, and I declare that all poverty is banned. I just, I just open my eyes because I'm sorry, I mean, you're not talking to the sovereign God. You are not talking to the holy God. You are not talking to the almighty God who, who created the entire universe. I cannot even begin to fathom the vastness, the immensity of the amazing work of God on earth alone, let alone when we go outside of earth and look up into heaven and consider the Milky Way, let alone think about anything else above that, that I think I can stand in whatever capacity and start saying to God, and I command this, and I declare that, and who am I? Oh, and who is anybody? I believe in the sovereignty of God. We do not go before him proclaiming or declaring or commanding a thing. You are nothing but a wretch who is not even deserving of God's mercy, but who, nevertheless, should be pleading for God's mercy. So I get fed up with these things. It's always the case when you have all these African um, events. You know, you always have, you'll always have one to do that to annoy you. You, you know, but this time that no, no, it's not about that. You cannot, you cannot proclaim anything before God. The only thing we can proclaim, to be honest with you, is uh, God's word, which we are commanded to do with power. If any man speaks, let him speak as one who is speaking the words of God. And that is as far as my proclamation can go. That's all the power I've been given. That's all the right or authority I have. And that is enough for me. It's not for me. I can't invoke blessings of anybody. You proclaim, you declare that everybody in here, that person, because it's their birthday, is their 40th or 50th or 60th, whatever age. So you're declaring that all poverty in their life must stop. You're declaring that never will they see sickness again. You declare, who are you? Do you know what plans God's plans for their lives are? Oh, I don't know. I it's it's also wearisome nowadays what is called Christendom. But I thank God I don't be, so much belong there. I belong to the Church of the Lord Himself, and I'm so grateful for that. So anyway, before the Sanhedrin, before the crowds, every this is the third time Peter is going to defend his. Uh, the, the phenomenon of miracles that God has done and he does not say he does not carry on saying or promising more miracles or anything he always went back to the, this thing has happened you are witnessing is the power is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ whom you crucified and whom God gave for our salvation so turn repent and turn to God that was always the same message never once did he detract from that now Stephen in chapter 7 of Acts, I love the book of Acts. I can never study it enough. I, I, I've studied it over and over and I still keep doing it. I keep getting commentary upon commentary from different authors. It's just amazing because it's just an amazing book. Anyway, so Stephen, an evangelist, he was martyred. Why was he martyred? Stephen was the first Christian to be killed for, for his faith. And it wasn't just because he believed. No, he wasn't killed just because he believed. There are many then who believed, you know, at least we know there were 3,120 from the first day, and then subsequently others had been added. You know, I don't have all the figures to head, but, so he wasn't the only believer. Why was he, why was he killed? He was stoned to death. He was stoned to death because of his proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what was that message? Jesus Christ and him crucified. Nothing else. Stephen proclaimed nothing else. Acts chapter 7. We'll read from 51 to 53. You're going to try and cut them all short. Just the, you know, the crux of the messages that they preached. He stood there before all the leaders, all of them, all the peoples. Stephen stood boldly and said, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed the one who predicted the coming of the righteous one. That was Isaiah. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. That's the righteous one. 
the Lord Jesus Christ. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. See, he was telling off his own people. You, and it's true, because before that time, the only people who were the people of God were Israelites before the coming of Christ. And we thank God, because God's eternal plan was for everybody, peoples from all nations of the world. It wasn't just for Israel. It was for all of us. But God started with them, you know. And um, they had the laws of God. The rest of us didn't. They had the laws of God. It was delivered unto them. The Savior came through them. All the messages of telling us of the coming Savior, Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet whom uh, Stephen was referring to. That they killed the one who, who, who prophesied about the coming of the righteous one. They killed him. I mean, history has it that Isaiah was, um, was uh, sworn in too. Apparently, uh, I, th- I think they sort of tied him to two planks back and front and sawed him in two. You know, he was killed like that. He was murdered. So, martyrdom had been going on. Well, this is the first Christian martyr was Stephen. You know, they were annoyed with him. The, the Bible says when they heard what he said, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. You know what? Stephen wasn't, he, he wasn't afraid of them. He wasn't afraid of them. He said these things to their leaders, to the, to, to the synagogue leaders, to the elders, to the chief priests, all of them, Sanhedrin, all of them that sat there. He went into a lot of detail from the very beginning of the, of, of the, the life of Israel as a nation. He went into elaborate uh, um, explanation all the way through to the coming of Messiah among them. They all had that history, but they did nothing with it. Stephen had the same history and he believed. He believed to the point of death. He had the same history they had. He too was Israelite. And he said to them, you know, you can see how we, how we told them, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You wouldn't listen, he said. You wouldn't hear. You always resist the Holy Spirit. You're just like your forefathers. Was there ever a prophet? Your fathers did not persecute? terrible and you're still persecuting the servants of God today when you turn your ears and your uncircumcised hearts away from from the true message of the gospel and you rather believe lies and heresies because they're best suited to your needs you're still persecuting the servants of God I mean what do true servants of God what do we proclaim nothing all we tell you is to to turn to Jesus Christ repent of your sins and avoid the coming judgment of God Seek salvation through Jesus Christ. Honor him alone as Lord. There is no Lord here in the world. Your pastor is not Lord. Your general overseer is not Lord. Your bishop, whoever they may be, all these mothers and fathers in the Lord, you keep appointing for yourselves. They are not Lords. And they're not your father or your mother either. The Lord Jesus Christ said there is only one Father and he is in heaven. So all these ones we are adopting here, I don't understand where they've come from. Because Jesus said you are all brothers so pastor or not, we're all brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's all we are. None is higher than the other. We have different responsibilities. I'm an evangelist. It doesn't make me superior to anybody else anywhere. A pastor is not superior to anybody else. Any other member of the congregation, he just has the duty of oversight. And heaven help us if we, don't, if we do not serve in our capacities faithfully. That's all we are. We do not then stand as though, you know, I have access to God that you don't have and I have special authority and the direct line of communication to God that you are lacking. Nobody is lacking anything before God. Every believer has the same access. We are all the royal priesthood. Each of us is a priest before God. We all have equal access to God. None is greater than the other. So I don't know. All these fathers and mothers who keep bowing before and carrying their bags and going home to their house on Sunday morning to iron their ties on their shirts and polish their shoes before they come and you're putting all your money together to hire them hotel suites and $10,000 a night room hotel suites because they're coming to do a fire, Holy Ghost fire festival or, 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 or some miracle uh, ex, uh, what they call them? extravaganza and all this nonsense. You're putting all your money in there. You're putting all your tithes and offerings and seed of faith because you've been told you're going to get a thousandfold and they are building house upon house, estate upon estate and buying jet upon jet and you are still there greedily following them and hoping for the best that you're going to be as blessed as they are. They're getting blessed because they're robbing you. You're going to stay in your poverty because God does not reward greed. <laughs> God does not reward greed. Drop it all. Jesus alone is Lord. 
But then we get persecuted. That's funny. That's the thing. People, the greedy and self-serving, the idolaters who rather idolize their pastors than Christ, they, they, they condemn people like me. They condemn people like me. How dare you talk about a man of God like that? Don't come to me with that silly argument. I always say, oh, thou shalt not judge. Keep quiet about that too. Because you, do not, you cannot interpret scripture. Thou shalt not judge. What the Lord was talking about was hypocritical judgment. We are called to righteous judgment. Thank you very much. It is our duty. Jude said, contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Jesus said, watch out for false prophets. By their fruit you should know them. Did he say we should keep quiet about it? No. I will always name and shame. If I know you and, I, I, and, and you speak truth, I will say so. I will testify that you speak truth. Where I know, I recognize that you're speaking in line with the word. I will. I will recommend you to people who, 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 who need to hear your messages. But if I know you to be a liar and a deceiver, I will say so. And I have no regrets about it. I have no fear of any man. So, anyway. Stephen, having no fear of any man or authority or powers or principalities anywhere at all, proclaimed and told them he said you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts unrepentant hearts that's what it means when you, you hear about uncircumcised hearts it means unrepentant hearts and he and he, he said all things to, things to them you know you killed the one you, you you killed the one that god god's righteous one you killed him you 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 betrayed him you murdered him yet you were the special people of god to him in giving all all the law he, he given revelation of himself. What did you how did you pay God back? So they were so annoyed with Stephen, they got so they went into a rage and they stood there and they began to stone him. Well look at the beautiful departure of Stephen. Yes. I'm gonna note on that and you know there's still a lot to talk about this message of the true gospel. But before I do continue, I want us to look at the glorious exit of Stephen just for the sake of it, of seeing that eternal promise of God, to have seen the beauty of belonging to Christ, of seeing the beauty of the promise of eternal life, of forgiveness, of salvation. So we read from verse 54 of Acts 7. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit then he fell on his knees and cried out lord do not hold this sin against them when he had said this he fell asleep and verse 1 of chapter 8 says and Saul was there giving approval to his death so um, it came known as the apostle Paul who turned out to be an amazing servant of God eventually having been the one you know, being the custodian of the cloaks of those who were stoning Stephen to death. But look at Stephen's amazing departure from the world. He didn't yell out curses. He wasn't angry. He wasn't upset. He would have felt the pain of being stoned. But he considered that nothing, nothing. He knew he was going to be stoned to death. He knew he was going to die. He considered that nothing, nothing in this world was of interest to him. Today's Christian, today's average Christian is terrified of death. They don't even like to hear the word. But you know what? Every sermon you hear is meant to prepare you for your departure from the world. Because we love to celebrate birthdays. But do you realize that for each birthday you celebrate, you're another year closer to seeing your maker. We love to celebrate New Year's. Yeah, it's great. It's good. It's a gift of God. But do you realize that for every year, every new year we enter into, you're getting closer to facing God. We love anniversaries. Whatever it is we're celebrating, every day that you open your eyes on God's earth, you're one step closer. A newborn baby begins to die as soon as they're born. Yes, because the minute you're born, the meter starts to count to read, you know, 
<laughs> you're counting up to seeing your maker. That's the thing. That's what the Bible tells us in Psalm 90. I believe it's verse 12. It says, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. A heart of wisdom. A heart that discerns, that can discern God's will. A heart that, that can identify God's will and purpose and walk in it. Stephen knew he was dying. He wasn't distressed by that. He was excited actually because he looked up and he beheld the glory of the risen Christ standing at the right hand of God. And he shared that testimony with the people. Look, now they're, they're stoning him. And what is he saying? Look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. As far, you know, they, they, they were there. This was before the stoning, sorry. But he knew he was in danger because they were already annoyed with him, you know. And he said that. He saw the beauty. He was saying to them, look, this is real. This salvation is real. Jesus Christ is real. He is resurrected. He is the Savior. And there he is, standing at the right hand of God. Rather than them, that message, that rather than that revelation sobered them up. It got them really annoyed. That was when they decided to, they started to scream, cover their ears. They didn't want to hear it. Dragged him out. Started to stone him and all that. So... He settled the matter within himself. He knew he was dying. He was going to die because, the, you know, I can't imagine how many people were stoning him. I can't imagine the sizes of the stones. Obviously, he knew he was going to die. And what did he say? While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. He prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Do you know what? Stephen had exactly the same attitude of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus prayed that. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. If you were faced with death today, under any circumstance, would you be able to say that? Would you be able to say that? Because if you can't, then I have to wonder, you know, I have to question your Christianity. Would you be able, what is your attitude or feeling towards death? So there are things and people here we're going to miss and, you know, but over and above all that, do you have any joy at departing the world? Because if you're really, really a believer, if you're a true Christian, you will have joy that supersedes all that you're going to leave behind. Children, husband, wife, friends, family, work, money, houses, homes, anything that you're going to leave behind. The joy of eternity you know, surpasses all that. And another thing, while they were stoning him, yeah, after he prayed, he said, Lord Jesus received my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Amazing. Amazing grace. He prayed for his enemies. Just as Jesus our Lord did on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. As far as Stephen was concerned, they didn't know what they were doing. So he prayed for their forgiveness. Do you see what I'm saying when the, uh, in some sermons I've said it, that the purpose we are saved is so that we can become like our Savior. We can become like God's Son. Uh, Romans 8, 28 to 30 tells us that. That we can be conformed to the likeness of God's Son that he may be the firstborn among many brothers. Stephen was like Christ in character in that short space of time that the gospel began to be preached powerfully in that region he was born again he had been transformed his mind had been renewed he saw no reason to curse his enemies and he did not try to run from them he didn't try to run because now we've got pastors who, who, who go around with, with bodyguards some of them even carrying guns as a crazy one in Nigeria what's it called? Apostle Suleiman he calls himself who said um, I, I, there was a story I read quite recent not that long ago he, uh, he had, he's got bodyguards and I think once he also went to the church with an AK-47 and, and was saying he was saying to his members to shoot down and not resist shooting down anyone uh, any of the Islamists who may, have, who may want to attack their church and, and stuff like that I don't know where all this is coming from He's not willing to lay down his life. I mean, he's at the moment in the middle of a terrible, terrible sex scandal. Am I surprised? Of course not. The man is not of God. So, these sort of things are expected of them. The sort of immoralities and things and scandals. How many scandals do we hear, do we read about concerning the apostles or the prophets in the Bible? 
And yet, when they're covered with scandals here on earth, you get their followers telling you when you condemn their acts and say, it is, they never see that it is God revealing them for who they are. They will tell you it is the enemy working to bring them their ministry. What do you know about their ministry and what do you know about God's judgment and, and, and God's re- revelation of his enemies when all you, you are too devoted to this person when you should be devoted to Christ? So he prayed for his enemies. Lord, do not hold the sin against them. He died a victorious death. Stephen died a victorious death. That is the sort of death we ought to look forward to. Whether we are being persecuted, whether we are being killed, or whether we are dying of natural causes, we should look forward to seeing the Lord. We should have minds and hearts that are pure, that we also may pray for our enemies. Well, if we do have enemies, I mean, the people who, who, who will persecute us and all, I suppose we could call them enemies in a way, but I, I don't make a big deal of that, to be honest. But then we have got churches who actually rain curses on enemies. I'm going to come to that another time. But for today, Father, we thank you for what we have learned. We thank you for the message of the gospel, the message that saves us, the only message that saves us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the cross. We thank you for the blood you shed for us. We thank you for the forgiveness we receive. We thank you for strengthening us and empowering us to repent when we desire to do your will. We thank you, Lord, for guiding us with your word. Keep us in your will, O Lord, that at the end of our days, our lives may bring glory to you and to the Father in all things, and we may spend eternity with you according to your great promise. Amen.